You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. Anyhow, I'm here this morning. I believe that the Lord has laid a message upon my heart. And uh, this morning I want to minister on something that's really positive. Something that's really positive. I mentioned that to uh, Pastor Marty. And I've titled my message this morning, Bad News. Bad News. All right, that might not on the surface sound uh, uh, very positive, but believe me, as we go through the message and allow the Lord to speak to us, you will find that the message is indeed very positive. Who likes bad news? And I think most of us would have to say we don't. But I think God likes bad news because we read in James 1-2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And so God tells us there where to be happy when trials associated with bad news come our way. We are to count it joy for it's the opportunity for God to show his greatness and prove himself and show how wonderfully he can change bad news to good news that will bless our lives and bless the kingdom of God. Uh, You mightn't think this is very good, what I'm going to say, but I at times uh, liked my children going through tough times. Now, that's not a nice thing for a parent to say, you know, if finances were a little tight and they couldn't make ends meet, I was rather happy. Because it helped them manage their finances and through the difficulty they were made stronger. And I want to go to a passage of scripture that I feel is, is amazing where you have news that's so bad it couldn't be worse and we're going to see the hand of God as he takes hold of that bad news and does something wonderful with it. I want to speak this morning on the bad news of a life-threatening illness. Then I want to go on to the bad news of having your life turned upside down. And finally, and there are other areas too, the bad news of being blamed for something you didn't do. So bad news can come in all forms. It can come and it will come and we need to deal with it. But God is on our side and you'll see the wonder of what God is able to do. I want you to turn with me to 2 Kings. And we're going to read from chapter 20 of 2 Kings. And we're going to read the remarkable story of King Hezekiah. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die and not live. That's bad news. 
It doesn't get any worse than that. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle of the court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you on the third day and you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil and he recovered. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign that the Lord will heal me? that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day. Then Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken, as shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or go backward ten degrees. And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to go down, 10 degrees, no, but let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. Now that is a phenomenal passage of scripture. Just before Isaiah comes to King Hezekiah, with the pronouncement of death, this is the end. The shadow of death was looming upon his life. Hezekiah experienced one of the great victories of the ancient world. You had the Assyrians that came and surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They were mocking and threatening and taunting Hezekiah that they would destroy the city and destroy his people. And the Bible tells us that King Hezekiah went and sought God and asked God to defend the city. And we have one of the most remarkable interventions of the supernatural in the entire Old Testament, entire word of God. What happened was that the angel of death came and 185,000 Assyrian soldiers died that night as the angel of death swept through with pestilence. We, we don't really know what it was, but they were slain by the hand of God. What a remarkable victory. The, re the victory was so remarkable that uh, uh, those of you that remember your poetry from your high school days, uh, uh, we, we have the uh, 
a poem by uh, Lord uh, Byron on Sennacherib, and I still remember that. We, we, I had in my second year high school, that's just a couple of years ago, and uh, we had a teacher, Harry Prince, and he was a remarkable teacher, a very good English teacher. I think I got my love for English and words and poetry from him. And uh, we studied Lord Byron's uh, poem on Sennacherib, how the Assyrian army came against Jerusalem. And what's fascinating about that poem is that the meter, the beat of it is horse hooves. You know, you can hear, you can feel in the words uh, the attack of the enemy on the uh, city of Jerusalem. And this is how it begins. And I still remember this uh, after uh, all those years. The Assyrians came down like a wolf on the fold and his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold. The beat's wonderful. And then it ends with these two words. We haven't got time to look at the whole poem. And the might of the Gentile, unsmote by the sword, have melted like snow in the glance of the Lord. And so what, what a remarkable poem by a secular poet, a great English poet that focused on the wonderful victory that Israel experienced. Now, Harry Prince, uh, I still remember his, his teaching on that. And uh, at times I did very well. At times he'd read my workout. At other times he said, John, I need to see you uh, after class. I didn't do my homework and I used to get four of the best. And he always said what we parents say, John, it's going to hurt me more and it's going to hurt you. And, uh, and it was interesting that uh, when I did my practical teaching, uh, I went to uh, a high school where he was, uh, he was there. And I reminded him uh, of those times. He had no recollection whatsoever, but uh, I certainly remembered them well. Now, King Hezekiah, after the remarkable victory... God had stepped in. It was a supernatural uh, move of God. And we find in the next chapter, and it's reasonably close to this victory, that he recognizes he has an illness unto death. The shadow of death is upon him. And Isaiah is directed by God to go and confirm what Hezekiah probably knew. We're not quite sure what the illness was. We're told it was a boil, it may have been a tumour or a growth that had gone right through his body. The origin of it could have very well been demonic or satanic, because when the devil loses 185,000 of his warriors, his people, he's not very happy. And he may have responded. And, and this king that was able to pray the judgment of God down upon the Assyrians, maybe he inflicted him with this life-threatening illness. We really don't know how it came we don't really know why it came, but we know that Hezekiah had to face it. And when Isaiah came and Isaiah said, this is the word of God to you. I'm glad, Pastor Marty, we don't. You as a pastor don't have to bring messages like that. This is the word of the Lord to you. You're going to die and not live. 
Now, that, that's not the ministry of the church to bring a message like that. And Hezekiah accepted that message. Isaiah began to go out of the palace. He was halfway in the court. And during those moments, King Hezekiah turned to God and he said, Lord, remember. Now, next to King David, King Hezekiah was the greatest king that Israel had. He was a righteous king. He was a good king. He, he, he accomplished a lot for the purposes of God. And he reminded God as he turned to the wall and he wept and he said, God, I've done this. I've been true. What your word required of me, I have done. And he wept before God because there was still so much to do. He had not finished the work that God had given him to do. He recognized that and he sought the face of God and reminded God of his usefulness, of his usefulness and still what he had to do for the kingdom of God. Now Isaiah was on the way out and he was just in the middle of the outside court when God once again spoke to him. And he said, Isaiah, I want you to go back to King Hezekiah. And I want you to tell King Hezekiah that God has seen his tears. God has heard his prayers and God is going to heal him. And on the third day, he's going to go up to the temple and he will be able to show, uh, to show the priests that now he's cleansed and, uh, and healed by the power of God. Now that's a real turnaround. God couldn't work much faster than that, could he? You know, there's, we're, we're looking at maybe five, ten minutes. And when it comes to moving the hand of God, it's not always hours and torment. Often it's just that act of faith that's touching God and letting God release his power. And Isaiah came back. Now, it's fascinating what happens now. Uh, Isaiah uh, says, look... Uh, Get some figs, and he applies a natural remedy. And they mash the figs up and make them into a pulp and spread them upon the boil. Now, whether that had any healing power, I don't know. I'm sure many medical people have probably tried or tried to see whatever secret ingredients are in figs. And uh, he placed that. And God's healing had begun. God was healing. And then King Hezekiah did what a lot of people did in ancient times when God made a promise. God now made a promise that he would be healed. God would intervene. No longer that the shadow of death would be taken from his life. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what will be the sign that God's going to do that? And in three days' time, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and uh, to the temple, rather, in Jerusalem and present my... What will the sign be? So the word of the Lord came and now King Hezekiah wanted a sign. He wanted something that would confirm that God would be true to his word. The sign that Isaiah gives is phenomenal. Isaiah says you have a choice. The sign can be that the sundial of Ahaz, which may have been flat or it could have been 
where you had kind of obelisks and stairs and the sun would, uh, the way the sun would go over the heavens would indicate time. But Isaiah said, the sign you can choose, the sign can be that the sundial of Ahaz will go forward 10 degrees or will go back 10 degrees. Now that's amazing. Here we have a sign that's greater than the miracle, greater than the healing, a sign where the creator takes hold of time and does something with time that science or no human can ever do. And Isaiah thinks to himself, well, it's no big deal if God lets the sundial go forward 10 degrees because that's normal. That's the way it goes. Time goes on. Time goes forward. Now, I'll ask God to turn the sundial back 10 degrees. Time that had passed now would come back 10 degrees. That was indeed a great miracle. And that's, and that's exactly what happened. And Hezekiah looked out the window saw the, in the palace yard, saw the Big Ben of the ancient world of Jerusalem and watched and in an eerie way, I guess, a supernaturally saw the shadow go back 10 degrees, which was 40 minutes, 40 minutes. And God made a promise that King Hezekiah would live another 15 years You see, he was only in his late 30s. He wasn't an old man. He was in the prime of his life. There was still so much for God's kingdom. There was still so much that he had to do. And he never asked God for healing. He just said, God, I've been faithful, but there's still so much to do. But God saw that the answer was his healing power. And as he brought healing to Hezekiah, he added he gave the promise of 15 years. That, that is a remarkable promise. Now, I want to tell you that God, more than anything else, wanted, wanted to bring healing to Hezekiah. More than anything else, he didn't even wait for Hezekiah to say, God, heal me. All he saw was, God, I want to serve you. I want to continue serving you. Now, King Hezekiah at that time had no heir. He had no son. He belonged to the Davidic lineage, the Davidic seed. The Davidic seed was absolutely essential for the birth of Jesus. In the birth of Jesus, Joseph came from the Davidic seed. Mary came from the promised seed. And the two came and in that uh, association where the Holy Spirit uh, uh, was able to uh, come upon Mary. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and as a result of, uh, of God's work, Jesus was born both legal and promised heirs were in that situation. And the kingship the seed uh, that Jesus was the son of David uh, uh, could never be disputed, could never be disputed. But King Hezekiah had no seed. And if he died, the purposes and the plans of God would have been in jeopardy. God wanted to heal, 
more than he realized. God was there. God didn't even allow, uh, allow Isaiah to go very far, only a few minutes away. And even though King Hezekiah asked for what? Something that no one ever had asked for before. The closest we have to it is Joshua when he, when he could not uh, uh, finish the battle and win the battle for the Lord. He asked the sun to stand still and the sun stood still for a day. This is causing time to go back. There was no power that God would not release for his purposes and as King Hezekiah asked for that sign. The sign took place. You know, we have a wonderful scripture in the word of God concerning um, time. And I've just got it here. It's, uh, yeah, uh, James 1.17. It says, every good present and every gift comes from above. This is a translation that's got some frills to it. Okay. Okay. Every good present and every gift comes from above, from the Father who made the sun, moon, and stars. The Father doesn't change like shifting shadows produced by the sun and the moon. What a tremendous scripture where you have God, God is light, God is in control of time. And the wonder of this story is that God is in control of every one of our lives. The time that God has given, God can work with that time to produce his will and, his, and, and can accomplish his purposes in our life. And the wonder is that God is able to heal. And, you know, one of the great truths of the Bible is, is the healing truth. And, you know, the first reference we have to healing in the, in the Bibles, Exodus 15, 26, where we have the redemptive name of Jehovah Rapha, I am the God that healeth thee. And when the bad news of an illness comes, whether that illness is terminal, life-threatening, whether it's life-limiting, whatever it is, God wants to bring about his healing that his purposes in our lives will be fulfilled. You know, what? we might be involved in children's ministry and God, there are so many children, there's still so much work I need to do to teach them in the ways of God. You might work in Hope Ministry, Hope Cafe, there's still so many mouths to feed. There's still so many people to minister to. You might be a steward. God, there's still so much in the house of God that I can do. You might be someone that's going on in years and have an intercessory ministry. God, there's still so much praying to do. And so when we come, when the bad news of an illness comes, we turn to God and we're encouraged. We're encouraged that God's word is clear and true and God wants to heal and wants to see our faith release that we touch him and it brings about his power. I mentioned in the Sunday night sessions on the Holy Spirit that a few weeks ago I was meditating on this message and I had a virus uh, and uh, my 
you know, I had a temperature and the virus and I was thinking about the service and thinking maybe after this point we'll pray for the sick and then I'll go on to point two. And uh, I, I was quite unwell and uh, this is the full story. I, I shared snippets and uh, at, being unwell and in bed I watched uh, a documentary on uh, uh, a, a, a mental illness uh, and, uh, you know, where, where people kind of uh, can believe they can do things that they can't. And, uh, and uh, you know, my mind's a bit overheated. And the devil comes and said, John, I think you've been teaching on the Holy Spirit too much. You know, I've been saturated in the Holy Spirit. You, you, you want to believe God, that God's going to release his healing power within the church. Look, you know, there are people that have tried things and they've failed. And I'm thinking, God, you know. Maybe I do have a problem. And then later on, uh, I was watching, and I do a fair bit of watching of the preachers on you know, Daystar, whatever the program is there. And, and there was one that was totally, I felt, unbalanced. And I thought, oh, goodness, that's not going to be good. And then later on, there was a current affair program that showed this uh, quack, a person that claimed he could heal cancer when he couldn't and brought so much misery to people's lives. And here I am thinking, God, this story, God, you want to heal and these things are going through my mind. How many know that wasn't God speaking? Okay, that wasn't God speaking. Because there's nothing clearer in the word of God than his healing power, that he wants to heal, that he wants to step in to our lives and bring wholeness and health and healing. And so with the bad news from a doctor or symptoms that our body experiences, that there's an unwellness that may be limiting or maybe even life-threatening, God wants to step in. And I want to do what I felt to do. I want you to bow in prayer just for a moment. I want you to bow in prayer. And I want you to just reach out if you need healing this morning. I want you to allow the word of God to take hold of that word and let that word produce faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. The more we listen to God's word, the more faith is. God, we pray that, Lord, like Isaiah, that your prophet, God, that the Holy Spirit would come. And, Lord, as we reach out to you and we pray for healing and wholeness for those that are sick and unwell, for those that may be received, uh, uh, Lord, news even this week, bad news of a life-threatening illness, God, as we reach out to you, we pray for the healing power of Jesus just to touch the lives that need your healing and your power. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the speed and the shortness with which you need to work. And I pray, God, that we might see that in you there is no shadow of turning, that whatever you state, you are light. Whatever you say, there's no shadow, there's no change. You're in control of time and life. Bless your people with your healing power. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm going to go on to point two. The bad news of having your life turned upside down. Has anyone ever experienced that? I think a lot of us have. The bad news of our life turned upside down. And you know, it can happen with 
maybe losing a job. Uh, many things can come into our, I'm not using the notes too much, but um, you know, an accident, a family situation, wrong decision, business failure, many things can come and, and turn our life upside the bad news of it. And the passage of scripture, we haven't got time, but in Acts chapter uh, 7, I think it is, uh, we have the a remarkable message of Stephen. He was the first martyr and he preached a great message at the end of which uh, the, uh, uh, the elders, Jewish elders uh, they, and the religious people were just so upset that they stoned him to death. But he gives us a glimpse into the life of Moses. And Moses for 40 years lived in the luxury of Pharaoh's palace and court. And you know, grooming for royalty took most of the morning. Some of you ladies might like that. <laughs> now, they pampered you with spices and oils and pastes and trimmed your hair. And, and then, of course, after that, you had time for sumptuous eating. And then life went on, the difficult life went on with entertainment and music. And Moses was brought up, this was his world, and at the age of 40 he recognised that though he was in Pharaoh's house, he was not an Egyptian but a Hebrew. A Hebrew. The hand of God, the, the, the plan of God was upon his life and at 40 he thought he'd go and see what the other what his people lived like. And he went there and he saw one of the Egyptian taskmasters uh, violently abusing one of his kinsfolk uh, and he slew the Egyptian taskmaster. He's, he would have nothing to do with that. He had a plan, a purpose in God, he sensed. And this was the beginning of it. A day later, there was a squabble between his own kinsmen. And he tried to intervene. And the one that was responsible for the uh, altercation said, do you want to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? Moses' life was turned upside down. He knew he could no longer stay in Egypt. And he ran and he came to the land of Midian which was at the backside of the desert and he spent the next 40 years in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you could imagine the difference. Here, the luxuries of Pharaoh's household. In the wilderness, looking after Jethro's flock of sheep. And for 40 years... His heart was right. He wanted to help and deliver his people. The methods and God's timing was not right. And then God sends him for 40 years. His life was turned upside down. He wasn't enjoying what he was accustomed to. He wasn't fulfilling God's purpose in his life as far as he could see. And the, it was dramatic. The difference in his life was just... Absolutely dramatic. Now, why? 
you know, God had a great plan, and, and his last 40 years were great years, weren't they, Moses's? But you know, that the plan of God for Moses, and sometimes we don't realize this, was to take and deliver almost 3 million people out of Egypt on a journey that should take 40 days, but dragged into 40 years. Pastor Marty, what kind of training do we need for that? What kind of training? And a few times he almost lost it. Even though for 40 years there in the wilderness, he realized that he was nothing. He saw the solitary life. All he could hear was the bleating of the sheep. He didn't hear the fine music of Egypt. And there year after year, he would think of Egypt. He would think of his people. And it seemed that nothing was happening. But he had no understanding of the magnitude of the task that God had upon his life you know what a group of people to lead and uh, and, and Moses had a, had a job this was the greatest exodus the world had ever seen and this was the task that Moses had and then after you know even his last 40 years that God planned 40, planned 40 years for in the wilderness, he still didn't enter into the promised land. God didn't allow him. He, was, he saw it, but never entered. His life was turned upside down, and then on one occasion, a, a bush, a bramble bush in the desert caught on fire. This probably wasn't the first time, because you did have spontaneous combustion in the desert that occasionally... Uh, because of uh, uh, the leaves and the dryness that you know, bushes could just combust and come on fire. He'd probably seen this a number of times, but this time he looked and thought, this is strange, this is different, this is not what I've seen before in 40 years, because the bush is burning, but not perishing, not disintegrating. It's remaining green. The branches are still there. And then as he approaches it, he hears the angel of the Lord. He hears God speak and says, Moses, don't come too close. Moses, take your sandals off because this is holy ground. And at last the burning bush takes Moses into the direction that God wants. And God says, this is your time. Now you're to go to Egypt. And then he had to contend with Pharaoh and the plagues. And, you know, what, what, what a man of God he was. And God caught his attention in the burning bush. You know, um, Ezekiel the prophet had a similar experience. Uh, you know, after the, uh, the wonderful, powerful work of God, where the prophets of Baal prayed for, you know, water, Pray for fire, rather, and, uh, and and nothing happened. But Elijah, I'm sorry, not as he, uh, but Elijah prayed, and and the fire of God came, and then he prayed uh, because of the uh, the drought, and uh, you know tremendous faith, and this man that came from a high, you know. You couldn't be more anointed or feel more useful or have accomplished more for God than Elijah had. 
And then Queen Jezebel, we know, said, look, you know, I'm going to do worse to you than you've done to my prophets. And he runs. His world is turned upside down. From serving God, he runs and the angel feeds him. And he goes 40 days into the wilderness to Mount Horeb. And for 40 days, and 40, of course, is uh, a number of testing. Jesus uh, um, was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted. Moses was 40 years. And at the end of those 40 days, we find you thought nothing was happening, but everything was happening. God was preparing Elijah, and as Elijah was moping and whinging and carrying on that he's the only one that's left, his knowledge was limited. God knew so much more. He said, I have so many prophets still. And then he got his direction from God, and and he wondered how God would speak to him. And, and, And there was a great wind. You know, there was a great earthquake or fire and you had these phenomenal uh, uh, events of nature when he was at Mount Horeb. And, and the Bible says God was not in that. And then we hear of a still small voice. I want to tell you, don't listen. Don't want God to speak to you out of the earthquake. Don't want God to speak to you out of the fire. You know, the last thing I want, and I'm sure you want, is for God to put us in the belly of the whale to get our attention. It's not pleasant. It's not pleasant. But, you know, God wants to speak to us the still, small voice. The still, small voice. And God spoke. God spoke and gave him direction. And it was from that that he went and he found Elisha. And Elisha was able to destroy the ox, yoke oxen, and a double portion of the Holy Spirit came upon him. And, and he, but he was not ready for that until the 40 days. You know, sometimes our world turns upside down and, and we think nothing's happening. We think we're not serving God. Nothing's happening. You know, I, I had that experience. Every one of us have it. I remember the last message I preached here when it was uh, Christian Family Centre Hamilton. And it's interesting, I I preached from Hebrews, I think it was two, and I was dealing with uh, uh, Jacob and uh, that so often we can get into a rut. You know, a rut, a groove, and you just can't get out of it. You just can't get out of it. Do what you want. And, uh, of course, when God, when he met with the angel, wrestled with the angel of God, God was able to touch his thigh. And his movement was different, and he was able to get out of the rut and be all that God wanted to. You know, it was ironic that I got into a rut. And, uh, you know, for years, I couldn't find a church that I could call home. I knew that we needed a church. I I knew you've got to be in the church. You've got to serve. I think I visited every church in Newcastle and surrounds up to the central coast. I can almost tell you what every church looks like inside. But I could not find a spiritual home. Somehow it just didn't kind of. And it was probably me. I don't know. But I, I just couldn't find it. And the years went on. And uh, just nothing seemed to happen. Nothing seemed to happen. I couldn't find a place to call home. And uh, it was an experience, uh, unable to find a spiritual home. 
you know, it was a wilderness experience. It seemed that I'd lost it. This is it. This is the way. This is the way things finished. And, uh, and, but I needed to find a place to settle and serve God and be part of a fellowship. And like I said, I visited uh, so many churches. And interestingly, I came to Hamilton a few times. And uh, it was kind of, it just didn't happen. And then a couple of years ago, the burning bush that continued to burn with a still small voice came and uh, Pastor Marty uh, spoke to my mum and said, look, tell John we'd love to have him come. Now, you might think they're just a few words, insignificant words. No, God was in those. You know, previously I was in a church, it was a combustible bush all over and done. But now the bush didn't disintegrate. The fire was still there and it's still there and it's still there. And I found a spiritual home. And, you know, Generation City Church, to me and to every one of us, should be the best church in the world. Now, you might say, John, how can you say that? I can say that because our spiritual family is here. Okay, you look at your family. And your family with all their blemishes, your family's the best in the world. Amen, your natural family? Do you want to change them? Those that do, please don't say. (laughs) I know you don't. I know you don't. And the same comes on to our spiritual family where we can come under the covering of the church and find a place where we can serve God and extend his kingdom. And in the years, 20 years for me, that's a long time. You wonder where they all went. And uh, it seemed nothing was happening. But I don't know because the networks in my brain, the word of God's just so much more exciting. At times you kind of feel volcanic. That's the word I used for Pastor Margot this morning. I said, you're you're very volcanic. I don't even know if that's a word, is it? Volcanic. But you know what? There's so much inside that wants to come out. And, uh, you know, God in a situation. But, you know, it's a still small voice. It was the bush that burned. There will come. And often it seems so insignificant and not even spiritual and maybe a thing that yeah, Pastor Marty didn't even give another thought to. And yet it was the catalyst. It was the word God used to bring us to a place that God wanted us to, me to come in a covering of a church and serve God in whatever way I can. And praise God. Praise God for that. And I think my time's up. I wonder if I'm preaching in a month, if it'd be all right to continue the sermon in a month's time. So I want to look at a number of other areas of bad news that become good news when God transforms them. Amen. 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 God bless you.